What are the essential elements of building a godly home? In this episode, we continue our series on family disciplines with the discipline of prayer. I'm Pastor Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What podcast. We're going to talk about prayer this morning, so we're going to be in a couple of different places in Scripture. Take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 8, and um, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to go through some scriptural context about prayer, and then we're going to have uh, some interaction, and uh, I'm going to ask you just to start preparing your mind right now to be courageous, okay, because... Uh, one of the things that God's Word tells us to do and how it describes the body of Christ is that while we may not know some of, some of each other super well, we can trust that God has put us in a community on purpose together to encourage each other and pray for one another and to listen to confessions from one another. And um, so we're going to step out in obedience to do that this morning. Uh, as I was writing some of this out, I was like, Lord, are you sure you really want to do this? It's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and give it a shot. So, um, Romans chapter 8, many of you know Romans chapter 8, this is, the, this is Paul's uh, letter to the Roman church, the Roman Jews, um, telling them about our way of life, and he goes through and he's, he talks about, in the context of Romans chapter 8, the difficulty that we face as believers, and how we are supposed to look at the challenges that we face. And within that chapter... Uh, it culminates at the end, Romans 8.28, where he says, And we know that all things work together for those, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he, and then he starts talking about how we are more than conquerors through Christ who, uh, who died for us, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, nestled inside this chapter, uh, within these, fir- these middle eight verses, there's some really um, important context for us about prayer. Okay, so I'm going to read this, verse, starting in verse 26. We're going to go to verse 34. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Um, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him over us all, over for us all, excuse me, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who, be, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the only one who is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus uh, is he who died. Yes, rather he, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. A couple of, couple of things I want you just to notice here. We typically think of prayer as us having a conversation with God or maybe early on, is just me telling God all the things that are wrong with my life. But I want to frame it this way. This passage of Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is advocating for us and interceding for us, and also that Jesus is interceding for us. Okay, so there's a conversation happening in heaven about you right now. 
about the things that you're going through, about your situation, about your future, about how you deal with your past, about everything that encompasses your life. Okay, all of the stresses and the worries and the joys and the successes and the failures, all these things, God is talking about them right now with himself. The Holy Spirit, it says in these first couple of verses, that, that he helps in our weaknesses because we don't even know how to pray. Instead, he knows not only what God's will is for us, he also knows what our needs are, he knows what's going to satisfy our needs, and he knows how to meet those needs. And so the Holy Spirit is translating our needs through our own ignorance to the Father. In the same way, the one who is going to be the judge, Jesus, he also intercedes for us. So that means that whenever we come into the throne room of grace, we don't have to do it in a, in a like we're kicking rocks kind of a way, like we're ashamed. We can boldly walk into the throne room of grace because the judge, the one who's going to say whether or not we are guilty or innocent, the judge who is Jesus is also advocating for us at the throne. So think about prayer in this way. Prayer is not just you asking God for stuff. Prayer is God's unique solution to incorporate us into a conversation that he is already having with himself. So when we pray, we're going to look at the, the, the prayer that Jesus lined out in Matthew chapter 6 here in just a second. But when we pray, what God is doing is he is inviting us to see things from his perspective and to listen in on how he is choosing to solve the issues of our life. If you guys, if you were, if you were, when you were little and your parents were solving a problem together, whether it's in the car, whether you ever saw your parents argue and then reconcile, whether you saw them working something out together, more than likely you learned something by osmosis, right? You were learning as you were watching them unpack things. In fact, I would encourage you as you're, as you're living out your life and you're cultivating what kind of culture your home is going to be, be the kind of home that, it, that cultivates this idea of reconciliation in front of people. If you have conflict in front of people, reconcile in front of people so that you can be a testimony of, of what God is doing of a transformed heart, living out of Ephesians 5. But consider that, that the Holy Spirit prays for us, Jesus prays for us, and not only that, check this out. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to take a, a sidebar over here. This is pretty wild. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, it says this, talking about Jesus, okay? This is, this is one of the ones who is advocating for us, talking about his credentials as, a, as our high priest. Beginning in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7, it says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, only innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this uh, he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, uh, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Think about it this way. This language describes Jesus as eternally praying and interceding on our behalf. 
that the picture that God gave us in the Old Testament of these priests who would come before the altar and they would atone for the, sacri- the sins of the people, that they, they had to perpetually offer a sacrifice for themselves first to be purified before they could do that. But Jesus, on the other hand, he intercedes for us in a pure and specific way. But not just in this current moment. The Bible describes time as being something that God possesses. Jesus has been praying and having this conversation about you with himself since the beginning of time, since outside of the beginning of time. That you have, in your perspective, a limited perspective of your experience, and yet God has been praying for you since he came up with you in his mind. So this frames the context of prayer for us. Okay, it's not just about coming to God with our needs. That's, a, that's an element of it, but it's bigger than that. Okay, flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Every single time I, th- I say that in my mind. Philippians chapter 4 teaches us the purpose of prayer. Okay, this is, this is the second thing that we're going to look at. We're not going to spend a ton of time going through these, these, uh, each of these passages of Scripture because I know we've got a lot to cover. Um, but the purpose of prayer, like I said a second ago, is to incorporate us into a conversation that's already happening about us. Okay, Prayer has, has a, uh, its primary focus is to bring our perspective into alignment with heaven. Okay, We do that through a number of ways. We do that through asking God for wisdom. James chapter 1. We do that through asking God to relieve our suffering. We do that by asking God to forgive us of our sins. There's a lot of reasons why we do this. But the primary purpose for prayer is to help us to be able to see things through God's perspective. Okay, As Brian Wilms would say, to put on our God goggles. Okay, Let's, let's read these couple of verses. Beginning in verse 4, the apostle says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all to all men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all uncomprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if any, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He begins by talking about um, prayer. Prayer is, is the method of teaching our hearts to be at ease and enable us to rejoice in our circumstances. The first thing he says is rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. How do we learn to rejoice, not just in trial, but in every aspect of our life. How do we see our difficulty as opportunities for us to be able to experience God? He lays out a recipe for us here. Okay? He says, rejoice. I'll say it again. Verse 5, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all because the Lord is near. What he's saying here is that Jesus is coming soon and we need to be ready to see this not as a disruption to all of our plans, but we need to be ready and known that we are constantly looking to heaven. For God to show up. We're ready for Jesus to come back. We're anxiously waiting for him to, uh, to relieve us of all these things. So then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Um, through prayer and petition of heaven. 
You guys have probably heard me talk about this word petition. It literally means to request an audience from a king or a noble. The key to rejoicing and to not being anxious is, is knowing and being comfortable with coming into God's presence. Whenever we experience something that we need to go to, go to heaven and petition heaven for, what that means is that there is a, uh, think about this, you go to your mailbox and you open it up and you see a gold embossed envelope with your name on it from the throne room of heaven. This is how we should see our difficulties and our trials, the questions that come up in our life, whether they are big or small or medium or indifferent. These are invitations for us to come see him. So as we petition him, we're asking to be brought into this conversation. And what happens is God begins to shape our perspective. Okay, think about this. Scripture tells us that, that heaven watches us, leaning over the banisters of heaven, watching all of his, his redemption unfold in creation, in awe. These angels who have done all these incredible things with God and for God, they see us little human beings running around that God would give himself for us and that he would reveal himself to us and that he would have a relationship with us and pursue us. All these things blow their minds. So the, the, the throne room of God can be seen in two different ways. To those who are children of God, this is a place of comfort and of rest and of restoration. So, to, so to, to picture yourself walking into God's throne room, the angels are craning their necks to see who this, this creature is that's coming in, this human being that God loves so much. And this is, a, this is a place where big business happens. And yet, for a child of God, this is just like when you were a little kid going to your dad's office. Yeah, big things happened there. When you saw him at his work, he was doing important things. But to you, this is just where daddy works. It's a place of, of, place of being at home. The second way to see God's throne room is if you are not a child of heaven, it's a place of terror and judgment and accountability. So for us who are children of God, we need to remember that to petition God to be in his presence is not something that is scary for us. It's the difference between getting in trouble and saying, oh my gosh, don't tell my dad. And, oh my gosh, I need help. I need to call my dad. There's a difference in perspective. So through prayer and petition, uh, and petitioning heaven, we learn to give thanks for the hardship that brought us there. And once God's changed our perspective to fit his, then we are in the right headspace to make requests. In verse 6, he says that. He says we, we start with rejecting anxiety and petitioning God. Now, after we've petitioned him and we have offered in prayer, now we're thankful for what we've, what we've been going through. Then at the end of verse 6, he says, let your request be made known to God. One of the challenges that we face, James chapter 4 talks about this, is that we often go to God without any introspection at all. We come to him and we have all kinds of opinions about the way that our the situation should unfold and how the solution should be should be realized, but we don't ever actually take any time to uh, to fix our minds on what he wants us to see. Okay, look at verse seven. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is profound. Remember, think about what are the what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Okay? So how do, we, how do we have peace in our lives? We do it through this simple process of coming to Him and acknowledging our own situation and aligning our, our minds with His. There's a big difference between seeing things incompletely and being, being uh, not confident in them and, also, and then 
knowing that we have backup and knowing that everything is going to be taken care of. When you were a child and you had a nightmare and you woke up and you were terrified, did your perspective change when your parents opened the door and came in the room? Absolutely. This is an example of what God is saying here in Philippians chapter 4. That the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it guards our heart, the seat of our emotions, and our processes, and our mind, where we make our decisions. So we're not making decisions out of fear or anxiety anymore. We're making them out of confidence. And then finally, he says about this perspective, once it's been aligned to his, then we're supposed to seek out godly truth. But it's only through prayer that God will open our eyes to the elements of his redemption around us. These things that are listed in, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, etc., etc., all of these things come from a godly perspective. Uh, Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked, and no one can know it. Um, Levi just shared earlier about our dependence on God, that we, without him we are completely vulnerable. So think about this. Do you have the capacity to see things correctly without God's perspective? From the Bible's point of view, the answer is no. You may have clues from previous experience of ways that God has shown up, but even apart from that, if God has never taught you those lessons in the past, you're, you don't have anything. So what he's saying here in Philippians chapter 4 is he's saying this process of prayer is what it does is it tunes our heart to listen, to hear God's voice in his perspective. Okay, have you guys ever been on a um, been on a road trip? Okay, probably this is probably old school, but it used to be before we had music on our phones, you'd have to drive with a radio, right? And between between towns, the radio signals would start to go in and out. You have to sit there and you have to play with the dial to try to get it to where it would actually find a station. Sometimes the stations would overlap. Well, just because you weren't getting a clear signal, does that mean that, the, that it wasn't being broadcast? No, not at all. You had to consciously go in and you had to tune your radio to receive the signal clearly. This is what prayer does. Prayer allows us to be able to tune our hearts to hear God's voice and to hear it clearly. Okay? Now, let's talk about motivations and instruction for prayer. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. This is a really familiar passage of Scripture. More than likely, you memorized this in Bible school when you were six or seven. This, this is what's called the, called the Lord's Prayer. Um, it really should be called the, uh, the Christian's Prayer. This is just what, how, God has, uh, how Jesus taught. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Uh, beginning in verse 5, we're going to read through verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and he said, he's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In verse 5, he begins, and he says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees it, uh, see what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then if in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lean, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Okay, some things here that I want to point out. The first thing is, is uh, in verses 5 and 6, he talks about the perspective of prayer, that it's something that is meant to be an intimate part of our faith. This is not something that we use to broadcast out there and try to show people how spiritual we are. Um, now, one thing I do want to say, though, is that prayer is not something that we can say, oh, well, you know, I only do that by myself. Scripture also commands us to pray for one another, to pray out in the open uh, within the body of Christ, to, to encourage each other with our prayer. What Jesus is saying here is he is not saying that we should never pray out loud. What he is telling us is he's, he's, he's describing the heart of someone who knows the heart of God, that this is something that's intimate. I'm not going to pretend uh, that, I, that I am something that I'm not. For instance, if I treat my wife like a dirt bag, and then I come out here in front of you and I tell you all, Lindsay is the greatest person I've ever met in my life. I love her so much. She is the best person I've ever met. She is kind and generous. Wow, Lindsay's the most amazing wife. I, you guys should all be jealous because she's just awesome. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, I'm just treating her like a total jerk. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not communicating any kind of a relationship with her. This is a perversion of a relationship with God. That's what Jesus is saying. He says they have their reward. Their, their illusion of godliness is all that they're going to walk away with. When he says you're supposed to go to your secret place, I thought this was interesting. One commentator wrote this. He said, the specific ancient Greek word for room here was used uh, to describe a storeroom where treasures were kept. This reminds us that there are treasures waiting for us in our prayer closet. The most precious thing that you guys can have is a perspective of godliness, and that's where you find it, is when you're alone with Christ. In verses 6 and 7, he talks about prayer being about the heart and not words. He uses some, some uh, descriptions here. He, he talks about the, the thoughtless repetitions of the Greeks. This is a phrase that uh, literally means to stammer or to stutter. These are people who love to say the same things over and over and over again. Two preachers put it this way. They said, prayer requires more of the heart than, the, than of the tongue. The eloquence of prayer consists in the fervency of desire and the simplicity of faith. Another preacher said, Christians' prayers are measured by weight, not by length. Many of the most prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. And then he finishes in verse 8 by saying that the Father knows what you need. Prayer is not about us telling God what we need. It never has been. Remember, we talked about our context that God has been, has been having a conversation about you and for you forever. So you're not bringing him any information that he doesn't know. When you bring him your issues, what you're doing is you, the, the scriptural context is I'm bringing you this issue because I don't know what to do with this. God, will you help me be able to see this because I don't understand. What we do is we, we typically prescribe a solution to our prayer requests and then we offer it to God and say, okay, do this. This is what I want you to do. And we don't actually try to see things his way. And then he begins this model prayer. Starts off with recognition of God's authority and power. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means holy, set apart. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, My Father, who art in heaven. He says, Our Father. From the beginning, he begin, he's, he's praying from the perspective of community. This is not something that's just individual. This, this 
perversion of, of the faith where people say that, well, my faith is private, it's not really to be shared. That's not a biblical way to look at life. In fact, it's very unbiblical. He acknowledges the supremacy of God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he asks for provision after he has recognized who God is, who he's talking to, and also he submits to his will. We typically, when we come to, come to God with our requests, we come to him and we, we might say, Dear Lord, we acknowledge kind of in passing that he is the master of our life, and then we go into all the things that we want. But Jesus is describing here, first we acknowledge who God is with adoration, and then after that, we submit ourselves to his will. We lay aside our desires and our wants, and we say, God, we want you to fulfill our needs. He asks for provision. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Another way to read this is, give us our bread for today and tomorrow. There's a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 30 where he says this. He says, two things I've asked of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me and give, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion for today, so that I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And that I will not become impoverished and steal and profane the name of my God. The idea is consistent with the, with the end of this chapter in chapter 6 where he says, Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. These, these uh, insecurities that you bring to God, they're rooted in your fear that God is not going to be who he says he is. Remember, prayer is aligning ourselves to who God is. So asking for our daily bread means, in other words, I'm asking for God to fulfill the needs of this season of my life. I don't want to have so much that I depend on my savings account, and that's my idol. That's a lesson that God has been teaching us this year with a series of unfortunate events. And yet, God, he says, I will take care of you. Why don't you just ride with me? Why do you have to drive? Just ride with me. I'll take care of it. So Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Give me the resources for this season only. I don't care about the future seasons. I know you'll take care of me then, more than you take care of me now. He's going to be the same God tomorrow as he is today. And then he asks for forgiveness of sin in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's something interesting here that I've never seen before. He said, after aligning our hearts with God's heart, there's inevitably going to be a conviction about the areas of our life that don't meet up to who he is. Right? So that brings conviction. So that means we need to make things right. Um, the forgiveness of others comes before we ask forgiveness from God. Look at, again, how, how, how Jesus said this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's in the past tense. In other words, the forgiveness that we expect from God, we should be willing and able to give it to others first. Remember, we're submitting to his will. We're aligned to his will. He forgives us first. He shows love first. He institutes forgiveness and reconciliation first before we even know or recognize or care about what he did. In the same way, we do the same thing. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Um, and then lastly, he asks for protection from uh, our sinful draw in verse uh, in verse 13. He says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The language here describes um, our own sinful draw towards wickedness. He's asking, not, number one, that, that God would, that we would walk so closely with God that when we are drawn away because of our sin, 
that what we do is we are walking so closely with him that we actively turn this way. He's saying, not God, as I'm walking into this strip club, protect me from lust. What he's saying is, God, take me in this direction away from my ungodliness. Right? You're not, you're not playing with fire like, oh, God, please don't let me get burned. Instead, what you're saying is, God, align my heart so closely with yours that we avoid my natural tendency towards sin. And in doing that, also protect me from the enemy, from the one who's actively hunting me. I'm fighting two things here. I'm fighting my flesh, the war of my flesh, Galatians chapters 5 and 6. And I'm also fighting the enemy through my prayer. It's a comprehensive thing. Um, okay. A couple of different things. We're not going to be able to get to all those things. It's fine. Different types of prayer. Adoration, lamentation, petition, contrition, deliverance, thanksgiving, and guidance. Let's talk about those real quickly, and then we're going to do a little exercise. Um, first, adoration is praising God for who He is, something that He talks about in Matthew 6, verse 9. Lamentations is bringing your difficult circumstances to God to seek His perspective. This is literally just... Speaking into the speaking to him exactly what you're feeling and where you are. This is a uh, a huge part of the Bible. Human beings crying out to God, saying, "This is this crap situation that I'm in. I don't know what to think about it. I'm just going to tell you what I'm feeling." Sometimes the godliest thing that you can do is just get it out and be honest with him. Again, he knows exactly what you need, and you're not going to say anything that's going to hurt his feelings. Petition is asking God for a specific outcome for your current situation. Uh, in Matthew 6.11, he says that. He, he asks specifically for, for, um, uh, for resources. Give us this day our daily bread. Contrition is asking for forgiveness for our sin. Um, in verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, we forgive our debtors. Deliverance is asking for protection from a situation. Um, God, protect me here. I know I'm going into a difficult situation. In Galatians chapter 6, the first couple of verses... He says that if there is someone who has been caught into a sin, those who are spiritual go and get them, but be careful that you don't also become entrapped. Thanksgiving is praising God for what he has done in your life. Philippians 4, we looked at that already. And then guidance is asking God for his perspective on a situation. There's a lot of other things here in my notes that I'll, I'll post this on our Facebook group. If you're not part of our Facebook group, uh, grab me or Lindsay or get you added to that. Um, the reason why we're going through this study, this series, is because um, if we are going to have godly families, especially in the generation, especially in the generation that we live in, um, I hate that so much. Um, these are these are core competencies that we have to have: be people of the word, be people who ask hard questions and pray. And then we are hospitable. These are things that God has commanded us to do in his word. And um, I think over the next several weeks, as we begin to dive further into this study, it's important for us to um, be intentional about every aspect of our family. And this prayer is a huge piece of that. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.